biographies, stories of people. I personally find short biographies fascinating, perhaps you do as well, and they are often very inspirational and, and give us lots of guidance. Well, in chapter 2 and 3 of 1 Thessalonians, really what you were reading in a sense is a mini-biography. It's very biographical, and it's a story in a sense of Paul's life and ministry and related associates. So it's like reading a mini-biography in a couple chapters. And in this mini-biography, I think there is a cardinal theme that can be brought together, and that is this, of showing patterns of Christian ministry and Christian life. And they are repeated over and over again during the centuries, during the generations. You see these patterns emerging of Christian life and ministry, and you will see it in the saints of the Lord, generation to generation, these common patterns that develop. And so you see it here in Paul and his associates, and we'll see it in others in church history. And often, it was given in a context here, this biography, it is found in the context of a campaign against Paul. And so he is writing somewhat defensively, but graciously, and he is setting his life in the midst of the campaign against him by unbelievers. And so he's trying to explain himself the lies, the rumors, the misunderstandings, the slanders, the persecutions, the malignments. And he's offering you a little bit of a personal apologetic, but as he does that, he is showing us certain patterns of how to live the Christian life and how to engage in Christian ministry. It's defensive, but it's also a pattern, a pattern that's good, and imitating a pattern. Now, we introduced that idea this morning from verse 6 of imitation. And I want to carry that thread through this morning or this evening, and we'll be carrying it through for any who may go to the camp uh, this week. Be imitators of me, Paul, as I am of Christ. And what you see here, I believe, are six ways that we can imitate Paul in the Christian life and patterns in our Christian life and ministry, looking from Paul to Jesus Christ, as we tried to emphasize this morning. And so my challenge for you is, as I name these six patterns that we're going to look at, look at these patterns and ask yourself, are these the patterns that I, if I'm a confessing Christian, want to see growth in and development and imitation like Paul as for Christ. And here are they, I'll just listen quickly and then I'll, I'll take you through them. Imitate Paul in boldness. Imitate Paul with integrity. Imitate Paul with motherly, nurturing affection. Imitate Paul in the spirit of self-discipline and self-training. Imitate Paul with personal piety. 
imitate Paul with fatherly firmness and exhortation. In verse 2, but though we had already suffered and been shamefully treated at Philippi, there's the context of the defense, as you know, we were still bold, bold in our God to declare to you the gospel of God in the midst of much conflict. Boldness for the gospel. Boldness here, I think, is the equivalent of courage. Boldness is giving language verbally to people that you want to make sure you give the truth. Not watering down the truth, not changing it to make it just sound compatible to a cultural context. The theme there is countercultural language, countercultural doctrine. Counter-cultural messages. As you look at verse 2, you sense here that we are to imitate in fellow Christians who have gone before us the boldness of Christ Jesus in when he declares prophetically the word of God as the prophet of the Lord, the one come from the Lord, with a message that had to be given. It was rejected by Israel. It was not received unanimously. But he gave it with boldness. As Christ, so Paul, he comes into this pagan culture with openness, frankness, graciousness, but with salt in the message. The boldness of the gospel truth. There is salvation in no one else other than Jesus Christ. That is offensive, and yet it is a bold statement. He does not water it down. The verities of the Christian life, the moral structure of the Christian life, the commandments of God, which are eternal in the Ten Commandments, unchanging, they are continually repeated. Cultures may reject them, but the Christian community is called to verbally affirm, announce, continue to declare. And so that message of invitation, as in Christ, as in Paul, as in those who have gone before us, is a message that takes courage and boldness to enter into a culture and into a society, and to a community. What is that source of boldness? It comes from God, being placed in the heart of a man or woman. God, by His Spirit, emboldens a people to often find themselves doing what they think is impossible to do, or impossible even to say, and to rise up and to declare something. What you see in Paul is a pattern to be imitated. It isn't Paul. It's the Spirit of the Lord in Paul at work. Perhaps you have found yourself 
in a challenging time when you were isolated, misunderstood, alone. The Holy Spirit is in you. The Holy Spirit is in God's children. Empowering, emboldening. We are in the generations of Paul here. We are called to imitate and find the dead. Now, in all honesty, we find ourselves often not being the bold children that we want to be of the Lord. Yes, we too will stumble and fail. We will miss those golden opportunities. You, you think about it two days later. But you couldn't think of it two days before. And the, the missed opportunity comes to you as a guilt burden. Well, there's nothing wrong with a little guilt. And that guilt reminds us that we are very fallible in our own human strength. It reminds us to turn to the Lord in prayer, intercession, seeking pardon, forgiveness, being renewed, and acknowledging that as sheep we do stray, but we are called to move forward in boldness. Read those many biographies of the saints who have gone before you. Imitate their Christ-likeness. Look for their moments of courage, their moments of boldness, and so imitate the pattern in your Christian life and in Christian ministry. Paul secondly goes on in verses 3 to verse 6, I think in an area that can be summarized this way, boldness with integrity, integrity, a matter of honesty, honesty, uprightness. Integrity is where you, you weigh your motives for what you do, and you examine them, you consider what you're doing. In reading Table Talk some time ago, I came across an illustration that I thought was very profound. It was on the subject of integrity <coughs> in the Christian life and in Christian ministry. It's a strange illustration that stuck with me ever since. There was a banker and an investor in New York City. And he had a very strange way of conducting interviews for senior positions in the bank or in the investment firm in New York. He would take a prospective candidate to breakfast early in the morning. And he would invite the person to come for breakfast and he would interview them for the position in the bank or in the investment company or firm. But he always arrived at the restaurant very early. And he would go and speak to the waitress, or the waiter, in South Africa, the waitron, and he would speak to this person and he would say, Now, this is what I want you to do. When the person sitting across from me orders, you must mess up the order. That's what the instructions were. I'll give you a tip at the end, but whatever they order, I want you to ruin it or mess it up in some particular way. And I will pay you well for messing up their order. The order would come, and the interview would be conducted. He would make his decision at the end of the breakfast, 
examining the attitude of the person being interviewed, the way they responded to the staff of the restaurant, the way they reacted, and whether or not they showed any graciousness, flexibility, and spirit, etc., to the whole proceedings. They may very well say, well, you know, that's not my ordered. But don't worry about it. You're very busy here. I look around and the place is absolutely packed. I have no problem eating blueberry pancakes. I really enjoy eggs benedict. Fine, I'll go with the show. He would go back to his office. He would review it and make his decision. Strange illustration, isn't it? What was he doing? He was looking at characters. He was looking at motives. He was looking at something beyond banking. He was looking at something <coughs> beyond being able to work ledgers and calculators and algorithms. He was looking at the character of the person. Was there a sense of integrity? Could this person's motives be weighed by the way they treated others, lived with others, impacted others? And that's what he was looking for. I hope I've wondered about that, how many times he did it, if word got around the city of New York. And if it's still going on, I don't know. To remind you of Job. Let's go back to the book of Job. Read the very first book of the, the verse of the book of Job. There was a man in the land of Uz, whose name was Job. And that man was blameless and upright, one who feared God and turned away from evil. Now, Job's a long book, but it's a short verse to begin with. And if you only master one verse of the book of Job, it's that verse. Tell me what Job was like from that verse. He was a man with integrity. He was a man with honesty, whose motives were clear and plain. Not dualistic, not hypocritical. He was without error. He was impure in his, he was pure in his motives. There was a trustworthiness about it. Imitate such a one. Paul, what is he saying? For our appeal does not spring from error, falsehood or impurity, or any attempt to deceive. But just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so to speak, not to please <clears throat> man, but to please God, who tests our hearts, for we never came with words of flattery, as you know, nor with a pretext for greed. Imitate Paul in his integrity. Weighing his motives with honesty, uprightness, purity. 
you look at the Lord Jesus Christ, you see such honesty, holiness, and righteousness. You see the motives of devotion entrusted with the gospel given to Christ Jesus. He did not speak with false flattery, complimentary words that meant nothing. He was not the smooth talker, gaining personal advantage. He was not the covetous one, characterizing his ministry. His ministry was selfless, sacrificial giving. And look at the Apostle Paul, selfless, sacrificial giving, not secretly greedy, but a man of integrity. Imitate such a brother. Be inspired by them. Contrast yourselves in humility. Find our own sin, but turn to the Lord and find his grace so to live. There's a wonderful proverb Mr. Compton's been going through the book of Proverbs in the evening. Let me just share a quick proverb with you. Proverbs chapter 10 and verse 9. Whoever walks in integrity walks securely, but he who makes his ways crooked will be found out. Integrity leads to peace. It leads to joy. It leads to happiness. It leads to a sense of a good confidence, a good conscience before God. Whoever walks in integrity walks securely. Part B, but he who makes his ways crooked will be found out in due season. Here's the second point of Paul's pattern. Imitate the life of integrity of the Apostle Paul in ministry. The third aspect of Paul's imitation concerns a metaphor of being like mothers. Paul looks at it there in verse 7 and 8. But we were gentle among you like a nursing mother taking care of our own children. So being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our own self, because you had become very dear to us. What a brilliant metaphor. The church of Jesus Christ, metaphorically, is a mother. The church place where many are birthed into the kingdom. The church is the place where Christian nurture should and does take place. The church is that place <coughs> where the saints are prepared for glory to come. The church is a mothering, metaphoric community. You can read of it in many places. John Calvin, in Book 4 of the Institute, speaks of the church as the mother. For there is no other way to enter life unless the mother conceives us in her womb, gives us birth, nourishes us at her breast, 
Leslie, and unless she keep us under her care and guidance until we put off mortal flesh. Is a baby not without the need of nourishment? So, fellow children of God, need nourishment. And Paul says, I have come amongst you in Thessalonica, and I am a mother. Here is Paul, courageous, bold, firm, and is an affectionate mother. The metaphors are most intriguing. Is a mother nursing children of the faith? I want you to think of the Lord Jesus Christ. He had to rebuke his own apostles, did he not? They did not want Jesus to be bothered with those children. The apostles began to almost view the children as a nuisance. This is Jesus, the prophet, the priest, the king, the anointed Messiah. He doesn't have time for children and crying children and infants and babes and mothers. He's got serious work to do. And what does the Lord Jesus do? He rebukes them. He rebukes them. Instead, he does the absolute opposite. Suffer the little children to come unto me. And what does he do? He places his own body language into the picture. And he places his hand upon the children. He gives his blessing, his benedictus. He blesses them. You can almost see in the scene the mumble of the ironic benediction. Christ, Paul, the concerns for those who are young, weak, just entering life and this world, all the evils and dangers ahead of them that they need to be guided through, directed, given a path. And Paul says, here is my pattern. Imitate me as I imitate Christ. And there is Paul nurturing gently his children. Children in the faith. The church's ministry is boldness. Church's ministry is also tenderness. Sin produces an ugliness in our lives. Sin produces grave tragedy, disappointments, sufferings. Sin produces many dead ends in life. And the Lord Jesus Christ ministers to the dead end sinner. A culture may make decisions for itself in the name of freedom, rights, etc. But those freedoms and rights may lead to great dead ends. Yes, we can talk about abortion and all women have the, the right for an abortion. 
the reality is there are dead ends in life in many ways. The church comes to the sinner. As Stephen so very nicely said on Tuesday evening at the end of the meeting. And the Steve and the, the gospel comes to the power of redemption to broken sinners to offer the way of hope and gentle tenderness as a mother taking care of her very own. What a beautiful metaphor. The nurturing community of the Apostle Paul. So there is imitation of boldness, imitation of integrity, imitation of motherly nurture. And then there is the imitation of self-discipline. Paul speaks of this, and here, of course, he's being very careful because he's defending himself, but he's doing it in a way that is hiding also. For you remember, brothers, our labor, our toil. We work night and day, that we might not be a burden to any of you, while we proclaim to you the gospel of God. Now, there's an illusion there. What is the illusion that Paul's speaking of? He's speaking, of course, um, that he was a self-disciplined man. He got up early in the morning, he went to work, went down to the market, came, had a Bible study in the evening, had a lecture, had a prayer meeting, got up the next day and repeated it again. Found himself by the Jewish synagogues on Saturday, transitioning, of course, with the Gentiles as well on the Sabbath, the Lord's Day. Very full weeks. The illusion here, of course, is that Paul was a tech maker. He was working with his hands. He was a leather craftsman. He had a trade. Most Jewish men, of course, were well-educated and those especially well-taught like Paul, who had had an extremely able education, also had a trade. Both were to be cultivated. A trade with good education, learning, rabbinical training, etc. Paul was self-disciplined. He provided for his own needs, because he understood the, the reality of creating confusion very much in the situation of where he was at. He did not want to look like a pagan charlatan who came to town, demanded money, and filled his bank, and then scoffed off with the money and never was seen or heard of again. So all of that is behind him. And Paul is trying to say, I'm a man of integrity. That's the last point, but it moves into this. I was not beholden to this group of people because I did not want to create the charlatan effect that their culture had cultivated. And so given that context, I did not take the financial means that could have been afforded me. I worked night and day. He was self-disciplined. He was a man who engaged with his hands and his mind for the sake of the gospel. But it takes discipline. Imitate me as I imitate Christ. When you look at the life of Christ, you see the disciplines of godliness. 
You see, the, the disciplines of routine. He was in the house of God on the Sabbath, in the synagogue. He spent time with his people. He was orderly. He went by himself into prayer. There was times of intercession, times of study, times of instruction in private, times of instruction in public. You read the schedule of a day in the life of Jesus, and you, like that book series that you used to say, a day in the life of North Carolina, a day in the life of Prince Edward Island, and you're exhausted as you go through the book. You take a slice of that out of Mark and you say, a day in the life of Jesus. And you come back and you say, how many more things can you fit in, Jesus? There's discipline, there's work, there's labor. And Paul is saying, here's my defense. You tell me, did I steal your money? Did I take you as I am charlatan? I still want to come back to you. I can't come back. I've got visa issues. I've got many other issues. I would like to live for a while to keep preaching. But I do want to come back and see you. The Christian life must include Routine and discipline. Discipline where there is a sense that one's life is in control and that it's not out of control. The boundaries of an ordered existence for the glory of God are marked out each day. We work night and day. We were then a discipline for the Lord. Number five, Paul cultivated personal piety. Imitate his boldness. Imitate his integrity. Imitate his motherly nurture. Imitate his self-discipline. Imitate his personal piety, his holiness. You look at that in verse 10. You are witnesses, and God also how holy and righteous and blameless is our conduct toward you believers. Paul's mark of holiness set apart for the glory of God, living the righteous ways of God, a pursuit of sanctification, the marks of personal piety. Do you remember what Gareth Burke said last Tuesday or Tuesday evenings ago? Remember the comment of Robert Murray McShane, my people's greatest need is my personal holiness, and how awful a weapon in the hand of God is a holy minister. That's what Paul is speaking about here. He's speaking about personal piety and holiness. We call it the doctrine of sanctification. Well, I ask you, would you imitate the pursuit of holiness in Paul? The answer is unquestionably yes. It is a yes, resoundingly. Now, you'll notice that Paul does not lay down here a series of legalisms. He is giving a principle. Pursue a life of sanctification. A life of ongoing conversion, ongoing repentance, seeking God's pardon and grace, 
pursuing a new standard, the righteousness of God, the life of God, pursuing a Savior, which is also foolish. So Paul's pursuit here is these things. And in 1 Timothy chapter 3, it's over a little bit, you'll notice that it's a must, an absolute necessity, a qualification. There is nothing to accuse these three workers of. Their lives are presently not marred by sinful practices. They are models of piety. Piety is simply a life of spiritual devotion, lived for God. It's not a bad word. It's a good word. Personal piety, that's what Paul is speaking of here. And spiritual leaders, and all Christians, are to pursue piety, because they set an example to one another, and to follow congregants. And yes, we will see Satan in all things attempt to rob us and detract us from that pursuit. Pursue piety, personal holiness for the sake of the kingdom of God. Finally then, imitate boldness and integrity, motherly nurture, self-discipline, piety, but also imitate from me fatherly firmness. And here's the wonderful balance that you find in this entire session that Paul has given us before he goes into his intermezzo in verse 13. We exhorted each one of you for this, no, in verse 11, like a father with his children. We exhorted each one of you and encouraged you and charged you now here, as Paul shifts, he goes from the gentle, kind, gracious manner of laying his hand upon the nurturing children, and now he takes on the paternal. And this paternal is different. There are days to be clear. There are times of clear direction. And so you see it the way he's put it. He says, we exhort, we encourage, we charge. Look at those three ways we put together there. We exhort, that is, to give clear instruction of what needs to be done or the way to pursue it. He gives exhort exhortation. He gives encouragement to the weak to strengthen them up. He comforts, yes. He soothes their tears. He's a father who understands tears, but he is urging them on, moving forward earnestly, declaring solemnly, you can advance, you can do better for the Lord. And since he is encouraging them on, not for himself, not for their own sense of their own self-worth, but for the glory of God. He is giving them this fatherly mentor to urge them forward and to pursue such things. The aim, of course, in all of that is maturity for the sake of the kingdom, who called you into his kingdom and to his glory. Now, I think what we see here then is in the light of what we are talking about. Paul is calling us to imitation. An imitation of himself that should take us to the Lord Jesus Christ. 
It's his mini bio, defensively written, but written orderly. And you can mark out those six marks of imitation. They are still relevant. They are still applicable today. Christian, seek the boldness of the Lord. Christian, seek the light of integrity. Christian, be lovingly and nurturing as it is necessary. Christian, walk with a spirit of self-discipline. Christian, seek personal piety. Christian, there will be days of fatherly firmness that will be needed in the faith. So exercise them for the sake of the good of the kingdom and the glory of the Lord. May we find ourselves inspired by the many biographies of the generations of the faithful ones who have gone before us. And they will be called to pattern our Christian life and ministry ever with the eye of Christ and his word. Let us pray.